The reading is taken from Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You were made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Be to 
Thanks very much, Colm. I'm Ruth. I'm part of the clergy team here at St Paul's. Um, and we're looking at Revelation 4 and 5 today. I did look at the preaching order and see that everybody else had got a part of one chapter and the junior curate had got two chapters out of Revelation. But we'll, you know, we'll do our best. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this vision that John had of what's going on in heaven. Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning at the start of Advent, to grasp your magnificence, your majesty, and to contrast that with what you did by coming to this earth for us. And I pray that what's been prepared would be helpful. If it's not, it would just fall away. And I ask this in your name. Amen. So it's the first Sunday in Advent. I don't know how we've got to December already, but we have. And it's this time of year when we look forward to the birth of Jesus But it's also the time when the church looks forward to the return of Jesus Christ as king, when he comes in glory and power at the end of time. So this is a chance for us to focus on Jesus himself and to contrast the risen and ascended Son of God with the frailty and the humility of the tiny baby that we are going to celebrate the birth of in just three weeks' time. It's a time to consider how much Jesus gave up for us. He allowed himself to become fully human, to be constrained by all that limits us as humans. But first, we just have a brief recap of what we've just been looking at. So we've had a few weeks looking at the seven letters. Jesus had given um, this vision to John, and he told him to write down these letters to churches that were scattered around what we now know as Turkey. They were young churches that needed encouragement and sometimes correction. They were churches that were often going through tough times, persecution. It was a rough time to be a follower of Jesus. And these are words that are directly from the Son of God. These words that John had written down came directly from Jesus. And we know it's Jesus who is speaking to John because in Revelation 1 verse 18, he describes himself as the living one who once was dead but now is alive forevermore. And there's no one else in history that can possibly claim that. So we know that this is Jesus. So now these letters have been written, and the focus of John's vision turns to heaven itself. And so we're just going to take some time now digging into these two chapters. It's an amazing description of heaven. And then we're going to think about why it matters that we know what's going on in heaven. So, chapter 4. It starts with an invitation to walk through an open door. John had been writing about doors in his last two letters to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And now he himself is faced with this open door, but it's a door into heaven. And this time there is no rebuke or judgment attached to walking through this door or talking about a door like there was, especially to Laodicea. Instead, there's just this voice that is calling him through the door to come further into heaven, to come right into the presence of God in the throne room. And the sight that greets him in chapter 4 is one that he clearly finds very difficult to put into words. You get the sense throughout the narrative that he's struggling to get across the splendor and the grandeur of what he sees. 
Because the one that's being worshipped is too glorious for mere words to capture a description. And he seems really overwhelmed by the stimuli that are assaulting all his senses. He sees a throne with someone sat on it. And he describes that person as glittering and sparkling like precious stones. Red rubies and jasper, which is a bit like our onyx. It was a well-known precious stone in the um, ancient world. And then there's more colour, because encircling the throne in the shape of a rainbow is a sort of emerald colour, but it's rainbow as well. So we know that there are reds and greens, there are rainbow colours in this vision. And as well as the throne, there are some quite strange creatures, and there are other worshippers as well around the throne. It's not just John who's in the presence of God. There are 24 elders, and they each have their own throne. And there are living creatures that fly, and they look a bit like animals that John recognised because he talks about ox and lion and eagle and so on. But he finds them really hard to describe, and they've got six wings and they're flying around. They're not average animals. And so the overall impression that you get from John's description is that heaven's throne room is quite a noisy place. There is singing and chanting, and there are rumbles and peals of thunder coming from the throne itself. And there are flashes of light, vibrant colours, rainbows, shining glassy surfaces, white robes, and glittering gold crowns. It's a million miles beyond what Buckingham Palace ever is. Or if you've been into Dubai Airport, quite frankly, um, <laughs> I've seen that. And there's lots of movement in this throne room, too. There are creatures flying, fluttering around. The elders are falling down in worship. They are laying their crowns before this one who is seated on the throne. So we get the sense from all that John's describing that there is nothing that is passive or reticent about this worship. Every part of every creature there seems to be engaged in the adoration of the one who sat on the throne before them. And they are singing, singing songs of worship to the one on the throne. Oh, to be there to hear the singing. The songs that they describe are talking about the one that they adore, the sovereign Lord who is holy and eternal this creator God who made all things, the only one who is worthy to receive worship and honour. They sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then further on, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. It's an amazing picture, and it introduces us, this chapter, to the centre and focus of heaven. This is the throne room where the Almighty God is seated, and where worship is being offered to him night and day without ceasing. It's a really quite an overwhelming scene, and I think it's meant to be, because it's one that's hard for John to do justice to. 
because what he's seeing is so important. He is in front of the creator of the universe, the Lord Almighty. And he's being shown things that no other person has ever seen. What a privilege that is. But also, I think it's important, this description, because it sets the tone for the rest of John's vision. Because whatever he sees or experiences in the spirit next is set against this certainty that the Lord God Almighty is enthroned in heaven. He is reigning over everything. And he is in total control of what will happen. So that's the backdrop to chapter 5. So then, in contrast, at the beginning of chapter 5, John describes a scroll that is placed in the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. And it's an unopened scroll. Now, this is important because the description of the scroll comes as a response to a question that an angel is shouting in heaven. He's saying, who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll? He seems to be shouting this all around heaven, looking for someone, looking for an answer. And we are told that there is no one who has the right to do so. At this point in the narrative, John's distress is really painful to witness. We're told that he weeps and he weeps because he realizes that nobody is eligible to do this. And he senses that this is a really vital issue, something that really needs to happen. But who's to do it? But then we hear that one of the elders comes across and comforts John, tells him, don't weep, it's all right, because the lion of the tribe of Judah is able to open the scroll. He can do what we can't, because he is the one who has triumphed. And so he is the one who is worthy to take the scroll, break the seals, and open it. Then it's almost as if something falls off John's eyes and he can see what the elders can see. That there is someone who has taken the scroll from the right hand of God himself. But here there's a bit of a paradox because what John sees, or who John sees, is nothing like this victorious Lion of Judah that the elder has described. Instead, he sees someone who looks like a lamb, a small lamb that has been slain, standing in the middle of the throne. He's expecting a lion, he gets a lamb. And again, it seems as if John really struggles to find words to fully describe what he's seeing. It seems almost ridiculous that a lamb should be the focus of so much attention. But he's quite clear that this lamb is worthy of all the worship that's being given to him. And he's being worshipped by the four living creatures that are flying around, the 24 elders around the throne. He's being worshipped by myriads and myriads of angels. That's a lot of angels. He's worshipped by every creature that has ever been created in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. That's everybody. And he is worthy of this worship because he is the risen, triumphant Lamb of God. 
You can sense John's dawning realization of who this lamb is as the scene unfolds. And then he notices something really rather special because he notices golden bowls of incense surrounding the lamb too. And we're told that these are the prayers of those on earth who worship God, the prayers of the saints, providing scent and even more visual impact to the worship. If you've ever been in a church that uses incense, the scent of it is really quite, it gets into you. And it does add more drama as well. And then finally, John notes down the words that each worshipper is singing. And they're amazing words. They say, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. So worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And we've all sung those words um, many, many times in various worship songs and hymns. These are songs that reference the sacrifice that the Lamb made for his creation. And they ascribe him power and glory. And they ascribe him worship and wisdom and strength. Because they are worshipping their risen Lord Jesus. The one that all of heaven is focused on. They are there to worship God's only son. It really is an astonishing picture of the worship of heaven. And it's one that we need to allow to speak to us today, which sounds a bit weird. But we do that because this is a picture, a description of what is happening in heaven right now, today. The vision that John saw encompasses the same time period that we are in today. John was in exile on Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And obviously, well before the second coming of Christ. And we live in that same time period, don't we? As far as I'm aware, Jesus has not returned. Sadly. So we can be sure that this is a picture of what is going on in heaven today. That's quite an amazing thought, isn't it? Today, in heaven... Myriads upon myriads of angels and the four living creatures and the 24 elders and countless other voices are worshipping the Lord God. The one who's seated on the throne and worshipping the lamb that was slain, who is Jesus, the son of God. That's what's happening right now. And we said before that there are the golden bowls of incense that surround Jesus and that they are the prayers of the saints. So your prayers, my prayers, are perfuming the atmosphere of the throne room right now. We are part of the worship of Jesus going on in heaven today. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? And our prayers are held within golden bowls. So these are precious to God. 
Our prayers are valued and honoured. Just let that settle for a moment. Your prayers are valued and precious. They are part of the worship of God in heaven. The person who's receiving all all this worship is pictured as a slain lamb. And that's important because it means that Jesus, the Lamb of God, still carries in heaven the scars of his crucifixion. He still carries the nail marks that held him to that cross that spilt his blood. He still carries that spear mark on his side made by the Roman soldiers to prove that he was dead. He still carries the marks on his head from the crown of thorns, that instrument of ridicule and humiliation. All of this is visible in heaven for the worshippers to see. And that's a really amazing thing. Because it means that the method of our salvation, so the, the crucifixion in all its brutality and horror, That is still visible. The marks are still there. And they will remain there for all of eternity. Because Jesus Christ, as a human being, but also the Son of God, is in heaven, in the throne room, waiting to be joined by the creatures he died to save. And his humanity is every bit as real today as his godliness. And he bears the wounds that enabled us to one day live with him forever. Now that really is worthy of our worship, isn't it? It took me a long time to realize that Jesus is still a human, still um, in heaven, but also the Son of God. But it's really worth getting our heads around that fact. And so today, the start of Advent 2019... We still have no idea when Jesus will return to this earth. But we do know that he is alive and he's glorified and he is being worshipped by countless creatures around the throne. And that one day he's promised he will return so that we can be with him forever. And from elsewhere in scripture, we know that existence with God the Father and the Holy Spirit um, happened before he entered our world as well. And it was just as rich and magnificent and beautiful. Heaven was just the same, has been from before time, and it will be after time ends. And that's what makes what Jesus did for us so utterly amazing, such an immeasurable gift. Because what a stark contrast it is, this contrast of heaven to the setting that Jesus was born into in Bethlehem 2,000 or so years ago. His heavily pregnant mother, Mary, unable to find accommodation. And so this son of God is born into a filthy stable with animals around and laid in an animal's feeding trough. And he's visited by shepherds from the fields, people who were on the edges of society. And then, of course, he was forced to flee to Egypt as a refugee to escape death. So the Jesus that we worship was prepared to give up all that he had in heaven, all that we've already described, to be born as a helpless human baby, 
They need to be fed, cleaned, kept warm, and nurtured. This is the same Jesus who is God's son. The one who made each one of us and who made the mother who carried him for nine months. It's truly astonishing, isn't it, when you stop and think about it. So that's why today at the start of Advent, we're not just concentrating on the familiar Christmas story, but we focus on the one who is at the center of history, the one who's being worshipped in heaven, the one who is prepared to leave all that glory and splendor, the one who gave his life for us, the one who still bears the marks of his sacrifice and will do for all eternity. He is our Lord and our God and our Saviour. And so what I wanted to do was to spend an extended time of worship at the end of this now. So I'll stop talking. Um, We'll pray. And then we're just going to have a time of extended worship. Worshipping this Lord, this God, this human who is with God in heaven. Thanking him and praising him for all that he's done for us. Because that seemed the most fitting end to what we've been thinking about this morning. So can I invite you to stand and we'll pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are the Lord God Almighty. You are the King of Kings. And your Son, Jesus, is seated at your right hand, this human Son of God, fully God, fully man, bearing the marks of his sacrifice. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are there. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is with us now. And we just pray, Lord God, that as we worship, we would be able to worship you with all that we are, to give you the praise and honor that is due your name. Thank you for reminding us of all that you've done for us. Help us now to worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen.